That's perhaps the most important thing any country can provide. I didn't believe in that bullshit and we did become arrogant and countries like Estonia just passed us by so fast that we didn't even notice. That's the, the biggest problem I have with the government. Sweden also has innovated in many areas that are way beyond what Finland has. In Finland we haven't been able to to create this kind of a unified government. There was a very interesting study in, in Europe where people in, in all European countries were asked to list 20 norms into the order of importance for them, where in Finland the number one was Hello, welcome to Joy of Finland, the podcast that highlights Finland's strengths and areas of improvement. I'm your host, Matt, and without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, Risto Silasma. I tried my best with your last name here, Savitta. Well done, well done. Thank you, thank you. And Risto is the founder of F-Secure, a publicly listed cybersecurity and privacy company. He's also the former chairman of Nokia from 2012 to 2020 and currently invests in startups through his investment firm, First Fellow Partners. So, Risto, thank you again for being here, and I thought we could get started with you sharing a bit more about your story and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my cybersecurity company in 1988, when Finland was not a high-tech country at all, and entrepreneurship was not popular at all, only failures would become entrepreneurs, people who couldn't really get a proper job. And I didn't believe in that bullshit. And I thought that it would actually be wonderful to to sort of pave my own way and be my own own ruler instead of following somebody else's instructions. So started on that entrepreneurial path. There were no VCs in Finland back then. So the company was fully bootstrapped. We grew at an average rate of 80% annually for the first 11 years. And then we got our first external funding when we did our IPO. I continued as CEO for the first 18 years, started feeling I wasn't learning anymore. It was the same job in the same company. Of course, the company was growing quite a bit, but still so many things were the same that I felt I was getting stagnant. So I stepped down as CEO, became chairman of the company, which later on split into two. So now we are with Secure for the B2B side and F-Secure for the B2C side. And I found much more time on my hands. So I was able to spend time what I'm really passionate about, which is entrepreneurship. As I started at a, at a time which was not sort of easy for high-tech entrepreneurs in Finland, it became sort of my mission to change that for other entrepreneurs. And I used to do that when I was doing the CEO job, but then, of course, one's time is fairly constrained. So I started doing much more about that with the government, chairing different types of committees and launching new programs together with government agencies, but also investing quite a bit more. So I have invested in I think 53 companies at the moment, 
and five unicorns so far. So roughly one out of ten have ended up being a unicorn. And I have a couple more in the portfolio at the moment that should be unicorns, but they don't need money, so there's no funding event, so they are not unicorns. And been very lucky to find wonderful entrepreneurs to work with. Really enjoy that. But I also, at the same time, did this corporate career, became chairman of ELISA, the largest teleoperator in the region. Then I became board member of Nokia, which got into a crisis. And then I had to become the chairman and work together with the company management and the board to dig, dig our way out of that crisis, which we did, and done a lot of other things as well, together with the European governments, with the Finnish government, with the US, with China. I have a lot of roles with universities around the world, and altogether been dabbling in a lot of interesting things. Nowadays, I'm basically a venture capitalist. That's what I spend most of my time at. Also, an in, a very avid programmer. I refound programming about 10 years ago, or yeah, 10-ish years ago, when I started wondering what is this machine learning all about, and couldn't really figure it out. So I decided to start programming machine learning models, and found the joy of building things myself but also found a better understanding of how machine learning really works. And that's a very fascinating topic. At the moment, I'm, I'm still studying. I'm studying quantum mechanics. One of my portfolio companies is, is very deeply into, into quantum computing, a, a great company called Quantscient. And that sort of... One of my conditions for in making the investment was that they will start a quantum school for the board members and they they have done that and it has been very interesting but not not quite enough i also enjoy studying languages so i used to study chinese when i went to china for nokia mostly i had to give a lot of public speeches so i used to always start in in chinese speak a few minutes in chinese and then switch over to english and that was a great motivation to continue learning now i'm studying japanese I had a role with Komatsu in their advisory board for a few years and always trying to find a reason to travel to Japan, which is a country I, I very much enjoy. That's quite the story. So much to cover and glad you could do it so briefly but comprehensively at the same time. Um, and if I, there's so many questions I'd like to ask, but I'd probably pick one. And that's because maybe it relates to Finland significantly is Nokia, which mm. is uh, obviously a very important company to Finland's history and how the tech scene developed. So could you share a little bit more about that turnaround? I know you've written a book, but very briefly what it was like then and maybe any learnings from that. Well, it's a challenging topic to discuss very briefly. Yes. But... Uh, you have read about technology disruptions and they are an interesting animal to try to understand and Nokia was a actor in a technology disruption event it was a very educational it was very tough it was emotionally very difficult because of Nokia's high stature 
in, in Finland and importance in Finland. A very big duck in a very small pond. And we ended up in a situation where basically Nokia's old handset business was not it was not possible to, to save it anymore. So we had to find another way forward. And we sold the handset business to Microsoft and used those funds to become a major player in another business, which we had almost exited already, which is the network infrastructure business. And Nokia is now one of the two Western major players. Basically, anytime you do anything with your computer on the internet, the bits will go through at least one Nokia device on their on their way to your your device or out of your device. And Nokia is a is a very important company for the internet to work. And that obviously is maybe the most important device in the world. If the internet wouldn't work, very few things would actually work anymore. For sure. And I think it's good to bring awareness to the fact that now still Nokia makes such an impact, even though it might not be as well known compared mm. to back when it was the mobile behemoth that it was. But I know that's that's brief about on you on the personal side and on the business side as far as what you've done. But I thought we could now shift more into Finland and focus a little bit more there. So what comes to mind for you as strengths of Finland? Well, I believe the biggest strength of Finland is the equal opportunities that Finland provides. And for me, fundamentally, that's that's perhaps the most important thing any country can provide. Because there are so many good things that stem out of that. It doesn't really matter whether your parents are wealthy or not. The kids have equal opportunities. You can get to the, the best schools, the best universities. They are free for you. The government even pays you a small donation for university studies. So you don't need to work, even if you can. And and that really gives people the the understanding that we are not limited by by sort of our backgrounds and and I believe that that is freedom that's real freedom and it it means that we we have more faith in our futures the the definition of an adult is basically that we we believe we can tackle whatever challenges we face kids don't believe that they rely on their parents to help them to tackle insurmountable challenges but adults believe that and in a country like Finland it's much easier to believe that you can tackle whatever comes because of the 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 welfare system that we have and that when it's structured the right way is also a great foundation for entrepreneurship but basically what I believe is the most important thing is the equal opportunities that the country provides if I would have to pick something else, I would use an old saying that compared Finland and Russia. And the saying was that in Finland, 
nothing is possible, but everything works. In Russia, everything is possible, but nothing works. And this was, of course, a joke, sort of, or an exaggeration. But in Finland, everything works. We we have an airport that gets more snow than most other airports, but it's never shut down, no matter how much snow comes down. It always works. Our public transportation is not perfect, but regardless of the conditions during the, the worst winter days like today, it still works. Our social welfare systems are not perfect, but they work. The educational system works. And Finnish people have a built-in drive for pragmatic solutions to get things to work. Not always perfectly, but they work. And we sort of take more responsibility for getting things to work in my domain, in our area of responsibility, than what happens in some other cultures. Then when we get to the weaknesses, we can talk a little bit about the, the nothing is possible part, which with tongue-in-cheek is still, it has still a grain of truth in it. And the third thing I would say is is sort of the, the normative values of people. There was a very interesting study in, in Europe where people in, in all European countries were asked to list 20 norms into the order of importance for them. And the differences were striking, where in Finland the number one was following the rules. You can bet that in southern Europe following the rules was was very low on that list and some other things were much higher so the reliability that you get with Finns dealing with Finnish companies dealing with with Finnish people stems from the the norms that we we are raised to to obey and follow and and those make us very reliable partners for businesses all over the world. And the old saying that when we shake hands and say that, yes, I'll do it, it, it means the world for us. In some other cultures, it doesn't mean nearly as much. And you, you actually need to do you know, big piles of, of legal contracts to feel safe. But in Finland, for the most part, you can do deals with a handshake and and it means a lot for both participants. So altogether, these three things, the, thing, the, the first one of equal opportunities and everything that means, the fact that things work and the, the norms that we follow as, as people, they, they mean a lot of trust. There's a foundation of trust that sort of gives people freedom. It allows them to operate more efficiently and it, it makes life better. And as most of your listeners probably have heard, Finland has been sort of named as the, the happiest country and happiest people in the world many times in a row. 
in international studies. And to understand the Finnish character, you also need to understand that Finns don't believe that. Every time there's a, a international survey listing countries in you no know, order of the best ones at the top and the worst ones at the bottom, and Finland is at the top, Finns are the ones who protest. It can't be that we can't be that good. This is wrong and this is bad and this is not working in Finland. And and that's a, I think it's a positive thing that we we are not too arrogant in in that way. Although we'll we'll talk a little bit about the Finnish arrogance when we get to the weaknesses as well. So there's a lot of trust, happiness, no division between social classes or the minimum amount of division of people into social classes. And altogether, having happier people, it's like reducing friction in everything that is done. Trust and happiness remove friction. Very well said. And I guess addressing some of your points, the quality of opportunity is for me as well one of the most important points about Finland and something I came to realize living especially in North America where Mm -hmm. I grew up and I really like your saying uh, was uh, things work but nothing is possible Mm -hmm. so I'm really looking forward to unpacking what what isn't possible but one thing about the equality opportunity that I was curious about is in that specifically, do you see stuff that could be improved in Finland in that regard? I think it's a question of funding. Mm. We we could improve things further, but how do we fund it? And we, we need to change a number of things that are currently weaknesses for Finland before we can afford to improve things on the, on the positive side. And now that's probably a natural bridge to to go to the the weaknesses and i'd like to bring us back to the year 2000 when you know the tech bubble was was very big and just about to burst it was also a time when finland really was at the top of probably every single survey that was done we were the most innovative country we had we were the most digital country we had the the best internet services we had the the fastest networks we had the happiest people and and you could go on and on and on and we did become arrogant and that led to to sort of this this very very dangerous feeling of if we freeze things as they are we will continue to be the best and in many areas of society, and in my opinion, especially the government, we froze things. We wouldn't change anything anymore. The idea was that if I make a change, it can go wrong and it's a risk for me and my career. So it's much safer to keep things as they are because they are already pretty good. And the fact is that not just others are running and if we stop, they will pass us by. But even more importantly, keeping things as good as they were requires you to move because a static machine breaks down. 
it it sort of even keeping things as they are requires to constantly adjust if you stop adjusting things start breaking apart and we we sort of froze at that time and countries like Estonia very close to Finland continued innovating and they they just passed us by so fast that we didn't even notice in on many fronts not all because we have many strengths built over decades and decades but in many areas and we have slowly started digging our way up from the hole that we we dug for ourselves but there are still symptoms of this same sort of complacency the finnish education results they used to be the best in the world we were number one in the pisa studies year after year and but we have been falling ever since because we stopped innovating we started securing the position we had rather than moving forward and this has to change we have to be hungrier more of a risk taker trying out new things learning from those trials and that has been difficult so that's the the biggest problem i have with the government and i have worked with our government and top politicians for the last 30 years known personally all the presidents and all the prime ministers and almost all the ministers for the last 20 to 30 years and they all want the best but they are so risk averse that almost like a finnish poet says that a known bad is better than an unknown good and if you really think that way that something that is known even if it's bad is better than taking a risk in hopes of something good then you are frozen yeah it's ultimately about being risk averse as a as a government that's holding finland back to put it simply uh you touched on estonia and i know this is about finland but maybe there's some light to be shed on what finland can emulate that estonia has done well do you want to briefly talk about how estonia has innovated and maybe what finland can learn from them well estonia has done many many things that have been sort of world first for example this digital citizenship which they they came up with not not a huge thing as such but it's it's a in my opinion it's a great example of a a trial where they are learning what does it mean what kind of benefits they can get when a canadian young engineer can become an estonian citizen digitally and maybe that can bring something good but just the fact that they were brave enough to to trial something like that is it could have never happened in finland never in the current climate during the last 20 years but they they have become a very entrepreneurial country the the experiment that i mentioned is also a sign of entrepreneurship entrepreneurship in in public policy and government but they have also built more unicorns 
than Finland, and they are one tenth of our population. And it's it's an indication of the same spirit of trying, being courageous. They they built a government network infrastructure, a, a sort of a both physical and logical network that connects all parts of government. For example, they had this idea that no government agency is allowed to ask a citizen for information that any other government agency has asked for before. A very simple principle. But if you think about implementing this, for a government agency to be able to not ask for something that some other government agency has already asked requires you to know what the other agencies have asked. So you have to have a central data repository. And when you know that somebody else has asked it, you already have the information. So you don't need to ask it. Kinds of ideas can really make life easier for people. In Finland we are now slowly inching towards this, but Estonia has had it for 10 years. So we have even even been a slow follower. Sweden also has innovated in many areas. They have their own issues, but they they have made changes to the way their the employer employee relationships work, how the the salaries are defined that are way beyond what Finland has. In Sweden they also have restructured the government structures so that ministries are departments of a a group structure rather than independent ministries. In Finland we haven't been able to, to create this kind of a unified government and we have lots of infighting between our different ministries which is becoming a bigger and bigger problem because so many important aspects of life are governed by horizontal forces which don't fall into any single ministry such as digitalization it touches everything technology overall ai you can't say that only the ministry for health and social services governs ai because ai doesn't limit itself to that domain and if the ministries don't work together truly, we can't take the benefit of these horizontal forces. Actually, we we get damaged by them because we don't sort of optimally manage these processes. And there are many things that we should work to change in, in Finland. And given your experience, you mentioned 30 years uh, with working with politicians and the issues with the government being risk-averse and the horizontal forces not working together, what is your outlook for Finland or how do you expect that to change? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm always an optimist, but I I believe in careful planning and I, I believe in metrics. I believe in in data, so I do believe that we can make things work, but there are steps that need to be taken, and uh, 
very simply put one of the proposals that have been made by a, a government committee that I have been chairing regarding technology policy. We have advised the government to, to apply modern principles of objective formation, basically using OKRs for government, so that the objectives that the country has are very clear. And the way the, the objectives are hierarchically divided to different government ministries and agencies and, and bodies, it's a logical flow where you also get metrics and data back. The way our government programs have been followed, I mean the, the top level government program, it has been an annual process in Excel and basically for many of the key KPIs only sort of a binary red or green meaning we have made progress or we haven't made progress. And you can't run a complicated machinery by polling whether things are moving in the right direction once a year and even then only like are we moving at all or not. It's no company could live like that. Any company will go bankrupt in a competitive market if you try to manage it like that. So luckily many of the, the key changes are pretty simple and they would bring immediate or very, very fast results. And therefore there's reason to be optimistic that we will get things done. And of course things have been improving but still many significant hurdles remain. Given the important work that you've done and bringing more data-driven approaches to government, hopefully that takes us where we need to be. But that puts us basically just around time for, for the podcast. So again, thank you very much. Appreciate thank your you. perspective. Any last thoughts you want to leave with the audience? I think I have left enough Yes. Enough disparate thoughts already. Great. Thank you again.